Voices of VR podcast. Hello, my name is Ken Pai, and welcome to the Voices of VR podcast. It's a podcast that looks at the structures and forms of immersive storytelling and the future of spatial computing. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Voices of VR. So I'm continuing on my coverage of looking at some of the different experiences that we're showing at IFA Doc Lab. Today's episode is covering one of the pieces that we're showing as a part of the Onyx Doc Lab mocap stage. And so Matt Romine has a piece called Bag of Worms, which honestly was pretty funny and kind of hard to describe exactly what was going on. They had a basically sketch comedy with two people that were acting. They were in motion capture suits with OptiTrack tracking, and they're essentially walking through a number of different interactions between two characters. And you could see the physical interactions, but then projected onto the screen was a whole other virtual realm. And it was kind of playing with how does that virtual realm interface into the physical realm in more of an imaginal comedic way. And Matt Romine is also on the side as a character, as a facial capture, and you see this floating head that's omnisciently coming in and out of the piece and also commentating. And at the end of the section that I saw, there was a whole unpacking of some of the uses of violence that they have. And so he was doing this deeper commentary and exploration of the use of video game violence and showing a progression of Mortal Kombat 1 and how that was kind of a moral panic at the time, and then all the way up to Mortal Kombat 11 and just the advancement of gore and violence that's happening in that video game. So he was doing a little bit of a commentary in that and embedding it into the actual narrative that he was showing there as a part of the Bag of Worms. So that's what we're coming on today's episode of the Voices of VR podcast. So this interview with Matt happened on Monday, November 14th, 2022 at Lab in Amsterdam, Netherlands. So with that, let's go ahead and dive right in. Hey, I'm Matt Romine. I am kind of a coder slash performer. I've worked a lot in theater and dance in the past, and then I've been coding with Max MSP and Unreal Engine to make a lot of like immersive video environments and tools for performers, sometimes my own performance, sometimes for collaborators. And lately I've really been working with motion capture systems and trying to think about them in the context of a longer form live performance that goes beyond just kind of eye candy, but a little bit more of like the physical in front of you is informed by the digital and vice versa. And there's this kind of symbioticness or uh, feeding off of each other and putting it on a stage. Yeah, maybe you could give a bit more context as to your background and your journey into making this type of immersive work. Yeah, um, I studied theater uh, as an undergrad I was an actor. And then I, I realized I wasn't gonna be doing that uh, as a living, but I still enjoyed it. So I, I also did an art technology minor and I did a project on circuit bending which is about taking apart old toys and instruments and making weird sounds. And my theater professor saw my presentation on that and made me start doing sound design and then eventually video design for theater. And there wasn't that much in the way of video design systems. This would have been like in the mid 2000s. So I started learning to code. I had these ideas I wanted to get out. And that brought me to New York. And I worked in a lot of experimental dance and uh, worked as a technician for a lot of companies, ended up going to grad school for immersive media technologies at a program called ITP, really got into Unreal Engine and motion capture stuff there through some classes and access to the facilities, and then really dove back into the theater scene and started working more as a designer and really trying to 
go back to those connections in the world of people I knew there because I thought I could bring something interesting into it and also expose people there to something in a way that didn't feel like it was just a technician telling them to do what they usually do in front of a mocap system. And yeah, now I'm kind of focused on trying to make my own work with the collaborators I really like working with. Yeah, maybe you could give a bit more context as how this project that you're showing here at if a Doc Lab at the Onyx Doc Lab stage with this motion capture um, track system that's here. Yeah, how did this project Bag of Worms come about? Where did it begin? Yeah, so when I was studying at ITP, we had a class that paired together dancers with coders. And it was a really fulfilling experience, but it was also very binaristic of like, here are the dancers, here's the coders. And I was like, I feel like I'm kind of equally versed from a theater background more, but I was like, it'd be fun to do this in a way where it didn't feel like there was this like separation of these things. And then I was actually teaching at NYU in the same program until this spring. And after the pandemic, I kind of had that moment of like, I've been thinking about this for a while. I kind of want to shoot my shot. And so I left teaching. And I actually did some work for Lisa Jamori, who is the first person in our showcase with the Maquette project. And we were talking a lot. She had some similar ideas. And I did some of the avatar coding for her project. And during Tribeca, I was a part of a program with Onyx where they had a showcase. And I didn't, it wasn't a motion capture work I was showing, just kind of a generative video piece. And Casper came to uh, the showcase. And on the spot, I just kind of made up a, oh, this is it. You know, I should get Onyx to partner <laughs> with DocLab and like bring the stage out and, you know, and told them I would come up with my own piece. Lisa's got a piece ready to go. I know Matthew had been thinking about something. My friend Kat, we taught together and she did my, you know, so like I, I, I kind of saw the vision as Lisa was also, I should say, at this showcase performing an earlier version of Maquette. And I was like, yeah, we should put a whole thing together around this. And Bag of Worms, I really just was like, I want to get back to the devised theater, playful kind of thing. So I reached out to my collaborators, Peter Mills Weiss and Julia Mounsey, who have their own theater practice that I actually do most of their video design and technology design for. And I said to them, it felt like uh, I was the bassist in a band going to the lead singers being like, hey, you know, I'm thinking of putting my own EP together. I'd love to have you sit in on it, you know, and, but they were really excited and the timing worked out perfectly. So we had about a week of a writer's room, just kind of spitballing really stupid ideas. I kind of shared some um, articles with them that I kind of referenced in my talk around violence in video games and my ideas around creative violence and just over the kind of like Looney Tunes kind of like uh, almost sketch comedy kind of nonsense but then we'll find a way to kind of thread it together and then we just kind of had a three-week dash of me coding and rehearsals and uh, my biggest rule was I just wouldn't do any coding while we were rehearsing. I'd write down ideas, I'd write down notes but we can't take a break while I do something you're gonna get bored. But just find something with what we have and I'll bring more tomorrow. And it was fun. The biggest thing was it was just like really playful and really fun. We were just trying to make each other laugh. We were trying to see what we could break and, you know, it was just a really nice equal collaborative kind of partnership. 
Yeah, I, I really appreciated the context setting after seeing the show because I was watching it and it was entertaining, but there were some moments I was like, okay, there seemed to be a level of violence that, that was going up to a line and going over that line, but there, but there was a way in which that it was being projected in a mediated screen. And so part of the humor was that there's a violence in video games that you see through media technologies, but yet here we see the physical representation of these actors and you can see that there's no harm that's being done to them in physical reality, but in this virtual projection of this world, you see all these things that are happening. And then, you know, there were some moments it was like sort of over the top gore and violence and that, that I was sitting there and being like, okay, not knowing the full context of, you know, how this project came about. And then when you described it at the end, I felt like I really got a lot more out of your artistic intent for what you were doing. Because there's a bit of a trope of you know, film students who go in and do the Quentin Tarantino-esque sort of violence that doesn't have meaning beyond that, but there's a comedic element that you're doing and exploring, but also these provocations from these articles that you came across. So maybe you could set a bit more context for those articles and then how that was driving into the overall aesthetic for what you were going for in Bag of Worms. Yeah, when I was at ITP, I was teaching a class called Performative Avatars. It was actually based off a project I did for Doc Lab in 2016 called uh, Meat Puppet Arcade. And I had these naked 3D scans of my body that you would beat up and toss around and do semi-violent things with, but again, with this kind of head tilted, maybe like comedy's the intent, but you can't quite tell. And I, I, as someone who grew up playing video games and just exploring them a lot and like being interested in breaking them, it just kind of got me asking questions about the context in which we do things in video games. And a lot of what we're doing is controlling bodies. We're uh, playing with bodies, puppeting bodies. And like, especially coming from like a queer dance scene in New York, I mean, all these conversations around like how we treat bodies, like the autonomy of bodies and how we view and look at bodies. So in a video game space, I didn't feel like I was, I, I felt like maybe more of a self-reflective kind of like, trying to think more about what am I doing and the kind of context collapse like is a word I keep thinking about of like I'm playing a video game and you know I don't think about what I'm doing but if someone sat down next to me and they see me pull a baseball bat out and beat someone to death on the street with it they might be like wait what are you doing like there's something about when you're in the game and there's the structures it's imposing on you and the tools it gives you and whatnot that you don't really take a step back and think about what you're doing. And it takes other people being in a room and viewing it to kind of uh, really pull yourself out of that for a moment. And I think one of the things I am aiming for with this piece, and especially even just like a theater communal context, is um, you said something about like, yeah, it almost felt like it was gonna go over the line a little bit at times, or the threshold was like, you're on a little on edge, and everyone in the room has a totally different threshold. And I love a space where a couple could come to the show and one of them is laughing their ass off and the other one's looking at them, realizing for the first time that, like, you think that's funny? Like, so I like when there's tension in a room of, uh, and I feel like a lot of times it's how much mediation you have already or exposure to video games or how rooted you're in that you've already kind of, you find it funny because you, it's a little ridiculous. You've seen things not work, you've seen things break, you know when a video game tries to be, especially growing up in the 2000s, if it tries to be realistic and earnest, it, then you end up with something with the animation mechanics, like they're just like sliding around or something. But now I'm just rambling a bit. <laughs> well, I, I appreciated both the setting the context of the violence in the video games, but also 
you were talking about the Sims and the process of killing Sims and your own experiences of that, but also the Mortal Kombat, which I remember playing on the Sega Genesis back in like maybe 1992, the Mortal Kombat 1, and you know some of these fatality kills that they have where you rip out the, the skull with the spine that's there. And then I hadn't been keeping up with the evolution of the amount of gore and violence that was in the latest iterations of Mortal Kombat 11 in that you showed sort of an equivalent cinematic from that game. And I was really quite taken aback. I was like, wow, that's like, I felt that same sort of moralizing like violence in video games where people were seeing the very pixelated digital representations of that back in the early 90s. But then to see how far it's kind of evolved to where it's at now in Mortal Kombat 11 with all this gore and violence that is at a whole nother level of photorealistic realism that is like really like oh wow this it felt like your show in a way that it was much more pixelated in a way that was not nearly as bad as some of the stuff that's already out there and so if people don't have that other context though they could be i don't know if you imagine when you were performing this if that you would always at the end contextualize things just to say why you were doing it because there is a bit of an artistic intent that is a little bit unclear as I'm watching it. It's just sort of like using violence as a, I guess, comedic trope, but there is a deeper commentary that became more clear to me at the end as you were unpacking all the origins of all these other stuff and going from the Sims and the brutal kills into all the stuff that's happening with the latest discourse and and violence in video games. And so, yeah, just love to hear any other reflections as you think about what you presented here in the Doc Lab context and how you think about in the future developing it and if you would sort of have that context at the end or if you just sort of leave it as standing on its own right in terms of a performance. I think I'd, I'd always prefer to have it stand on its own. I could imagine... It's always context, you know? I think if you walk into a theater, my expectation walking into a theater is that once the show's done, the director's not gonna come out and be like, I need everyone to stay another 30 minutes while I explain everything. Like, I, I want the experience of what's on stage to kind of stand as its own thing and for me to have a chance to talk with other people about it and think about it. In the context of a festival or maybe more academic, I love to talk about these things and, provide more context and engage in a different kind of, not necessarily a different dialogue, but a dialogue that might be more expected and I'm trying to engender a bit more. But I'm a very non-theoretical person in my own practice. I like to absorb things through osmosis. I love to keep tabs of thoughts and ideas in the real world things and articles that kind of like sparking some of the things that are on my mind. I like sharing that with my collaborators, but we're not a A to B kind of like, we're not saying we have this article, so we got to make that piece that reflects it or, but it's yeah, like kind of like I said, osmosis of like, we download all this stuff. And then when we go into the creation process, which is just a completely different art form than writing a lecture or writing a paper, it's just something that's kind of living in us. And I uh, actually, when I was going over my notes for the lecture, I had completely forgotten about in Brutal Kills, a lot of the characters are modded to be like Iron Man or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. If you've spent any time in VR chat, it's just this copyright hell of like a Pikachu with a bong on his head and like Nickelodeon cartoons with like medieval armor. Like 
And so in our piece, when I were using Coca-Cola, using Shrek and all that stuff, I was like, oh, it's that context collapse I had kind of talked to you guys about. It's the cognitive dissonance of these really intense things happening, but with these pop culture icons that confuse you and like you can still be traumatized, but the trauma is more confusing. And like we never talked about that as why we bought those things into the piece, but that was a connection I made after. I do think if we we're looking to make a full evening length version of this work and we're still thinking of like what's the structure of the world we're building and the characters in it and I think there's a, already a little bit of a feeling it's almost like a art lecture like a very deranged one like I have this kind of all-seeing director talking head character and I'm asking them to play out these different scenes I don't think it would be so earnestly like my talk and ideas translated but maybe that's something we lean into a little more for my character of like yeah presenting things to the audience in a way that feels like a performance lecture is a, a trope of some sort yeah i mean i i don't know what the full-length version would be that stood on its own the version i saw had the context in the end and i i appreciated it because it as a documentarian and oral historian in this space, I always enjoy hearing about the process of creation, and that was a bit of a an insight for how this project even came about, with some of these articles that were discussing these things and, and using those as a bit of a launching point. Because there is a bit of a, I guess in comedy, there is a way of having different contexts mashed together, and that there's some aspect of the context collapse, or there's ways of things that make sense in one context and putting in another context. And so in this show, you have people in a physical context, but you have a virtual representation of that context. And so you have the mediated context juxtaposed with the physical context. And between those two, you're seeing how those two different worlds interact. And I guess if there's a, a theme that I see is that you're kind of playing with almost imagining if they were in this actual virtual context, what would happen if he was kind of responding as if the virtual world is kind of interfacing with the physical world. And that, that seemed to be a common theme towards the bag of worms interfaces between these two actors and what's happening in the immediate space. And so, yeah, I don't know if that's sort of an accurate recap or how you start to think about the interface between the virtual representation that you have in this piece versus the physical manifestation they have with these live actors on stage. I'm not even... I'm not even sure what I was trying to say in doing it as so much as I just, theater has its own language. And I was like, how does this fit into like a theater language? Like how does it fit into a language of what an audience is looking at? Where does your eye go? And I really wanted to hold myself to not creating something where it's a one-to-one -one translation. Like there's a body on stage, now there's a body on the screen and it's a little different, the colors are different, or it's this creature or character, and we know it's happening live, but you don't need to pay attention. We actually encourage you not to really pay attention to the body that's doing it, the physical one. Just know the magic trick is there's a person there and there's a thing on the screen. And then that's, I think that's why you end up with a lot of things that feel like tech demos, is because it's a demonstration of the technology. So. I really was just trying to use this as an opportunity to try and, in, in the context too, like you're kind of talking about of like violence, but violence without consequence, wait, no one actually is getting hurt, but this is all also upsetting, you know, like I think it's important for me to pull the Peter's real body on stage and the facial reactions he's giving. And I actually didn't realize how much not giving the avatars facial reactions and body language but letting Peter and Julia really do this kind of physical comedy they do so well. 
anchors the audience back to the physical stage. So you're getting a little bit of something each on each side. A funny thing that happened that we didn't even realize as we were devising and making all these scenes is Peter kept being the one to get killed. And really, like, not very long after that, and I think Peter just has a really nice physical comedy training that it maybe was always just funniest to us in the room for Peter, the one to get killed by something. And then we were like, oh, this is the through line. Even though we only have 15 minutes, we got to find a thread to connect all of these. And that really kind of Peter becoming increasingly traumatized. And then in the last scene where it looks like he's the one that will kill, but he kills Julia's character in almost a mundane way compared to the others. And then he's so wrapped up in the trauma of it, he can barely go on and Julia comes back at this avenging Shrek angle and it all just kind of is the crescendo of this arc for this character. Yeah, and also really appreciated the temperamental qualities of each of the characters of Peter, who's very amicable, quick to respond, eager to participate and happy to please. And, and Julia, who's a little bit more soft-spoken, doesn't have much to say, and just kind of more of a melancholic temperament or just deadpan humor in it. And I'd, I'd love for you to expand upon, as you're working with Peter and Julia, how you're developing each of these different characters and their different temperaments interacting with each other as a part of the dynamic that makes it interesting. Yeah, it, it was really fun to discover Julia's character that way, too, where um, I think we described it as, like, you're a professional, like, you do your job, but you don't do an ounce of effort more than that, you know? If someone calls like a corporate company meeting and we gotta talk about things in an earnest way, you're sitting in the back being like, I mean, you're paying me to be here, I'll be here, but <laughs> I'm not gonna get into this, like, you know, just tell me what to do. And she does that so well. I think for me personally, my biggest questions are still what my character is. I think even the technology I had behind it with the facial sync and the lip busy mouth stuff, like, it was the most inconsistent in the show, and I had a kind of fun, broken quality, but I'd rather have that be a choice than something that was kind of a limitation of the technology and how sadistic am I, how in control am I, how caring am I for them, you know? Like, I, I don't think I want to answer the question of why I'm having us do all these scenes, but maybe a little bit more of a hint of a, why the show's developing the way it is and how my character is responding to that and I think we talked about that eventually Julia will kill me and become the director of something like, that was one arc where like that seems to be where this would end up going that Julia's just got to end up being the one in the control with this like deadpan stoic kind of humor but yeah just things to work on for the next version yeah, because you do have like an iPhone camera that's on a stand and that you're at a podium and you're kind of directing things and you have stuff that you're typing on your keyboard to help trigger different stuff, but you're also, you've got a voice that is an omniscient voice and sometimes and you don't see a representation of yourself, but other times you actually do have a virtual representation of your face that comes in and that it's connected to how you're moving your head and your mouth movements and kind of the, an animated version of the sounds that are coming through the, the speech that's coming through. And so, yeah, I guess maybe talk a bit about the integration for how you're bringing in all these different aspects of your facial performance, but also the type of stuff that you are directing and coordinating and triggering from your computer as well. One thing I really like having technology on stage with me, like I am always pushing for someone not to be in the booth taking the cues, but for 
someone who's involved in what's happening on stage to dictate what moves forward and has the readiness to respond to it. And I was kind of just the process itself was me directing with technology and through the ideas, Peter and Julia. And I was like, I just I want to be an actual character doing this. I want this to be a virtual space that I am, you know, playing. You know, when we were in the rehearsal room for the show, I walk it back in the show. I'm sequentially playing all the cues in real time, like I'm deciding when something happens. But in the rehearsal room, I wrote the code that I had a big control panel and I could like almost in an improv sense add and subtract things or bring something up if someone asked for it. And so I wanted the integration of the technology to really be a part of the rehearsal process. And I think from there, you have the idea of me as a director, me giving like a performance lecture of some sort. We just had to figure out how to stage me in a way that felt a little bit more omniscient, a little bit more not in the same playing field as Peter and Julia. And then also like my interest in just having different forms of motion and capture represented in this. It's fun to not always do a full body kind of thing. It was fun for me to think of like, how can I give myself a little bit of something, but then I can have my hands free for other things. I can stage myself on stage in a different way. And it creates a further juxtaposition of who I am to their characters. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but there was some moments that you were directing and triggering stuff where you were trying to find a certain trigger, but you kept on triggering like the wrong thing. And so then you had all these things that were kind of falling down and a bunch of worms and you were saying like, oh no, but it had this other comedic effect where, you know, the stuff that you were trying to have triggered from your omniscient perspective, then the people who are on the stage and then the virtual representation then have to deal with all these kind of mistakes that you're making. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting, I don't know if it was on purpose or if it was an accidental thing, but I think that's actually kind of an interesting dynamic too, when you are somehow as the omniscient person in control, you suddenly are now out of control and that the people who are in this virtual world have to deal with all those consequences of that. So I thought that moment was actually kind of funny and I I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I enjoyed it. I think I could be wrong, but I think you were thinking of when I was kind of demonstrating things after the performance. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. No, but I, I mean, that was kind of how our rehearsals were. Like, it was just this, like, total chaos sometimes. And something I really was adamant with them about when we first started working on it, I just kind of immediately realized, is like, I want a sense of messiness and clutter. And not just, like, messiness of the what's happening on stage, but... Every time we do one of these scenes, I want objects, I want candy, I want worms, I want blood stains. I, I want things to feel like from the first minute of the show to the last minute of the show, like the floor is just like trashed with things. And sometimes you guys are having to clean it up or like the context collapse of like Peter's head spraying blood, but there's still pieces of candy from the pinata scene before left over there, you know, like. I wanted that feeling of everything kind of climbing over the top of itself. And partly because like, you know, there are times where like a 3D object gets stuck in the wrong position or something ends up not behaving the way. There's a part at the beginning of the show where my body always falls onto the ground and I asked Julia to help me up and she actually kicks my body off the platform. But the way I fall is always different. And sometimes I fall without her kicking me or other times she does end up having to try and help me. So. I like finding ways to make sure that the technology is not predetermined. I want 
mistakes. I want things to, so much of acting is responding to things and technology can be really sterile and performance context because a lot of times the focus is to never have mistakes, to always make sure you know exactly what's going to happen. And I'm trying to find a controlled way of letting some things happen that we have to figure out what to do with in real time. Yeah, I, I appreciated the level of immersion that both Peter and Julia had and in your presentation afterwards when you were triggering all this extra stuff, the frame rate was dropping so low because there's too many objects and they're trying to get the objects off the screen, but they're diligently kicking them into the hole or off the screen, you know, but they're kind of immersed into this other world and you sort of have this plausibility that they're actually interfacing with these other realms and that they're not having you hit the button that gets rid of everything automatically, but they're actually doing the type of janitorial work in a virtual environment that you could literally just push a button and have it all go away, but it's creating a sense of continuity of this virtual space that gives this extra layer of believability of this virtual representation of this world that they're coexisting in this hybrid existence between these realms. And I think that interplay between those two is something that's really interesting to be working with. And I guess one thing I, that you mentioned that I want to have you perhaps elaborate on a little bit is the language of theater and the different insights that you're taking because XR and these immersive technologies are pulling in lots of stuff from cinematic storytelling or video games, human computer interaction, but there is this theatrical component. And so I'd love to hear what you think of in terms of the language of theater and how you start to talk about what you're doing on the stage, because it, it does feel like a theatrical performance, but also has all these other immersive components. And so how do you start to think about or talk about what you're doing more in a theatrical context, but how that starts to translate into the immersive context? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, um, I guess, you know, one thing, I'll go with this. I, when I was studying at ITP and teaching at ITP, they really prioritized bringing people from a lot of different backgrounds. So you had graphic designers, you had lighting designers for theater trained, you had artists that worked in a studio context, you had architects that worked in an architecture firm context. And I was really struck by, you know, everybody's in the same classes trying to make their first VR, AR project, or work with physical computing, I always thought it was a little understated how much you could see the training that people had in a specific field and how that informed the way they talk about things, how they staged it, and probably the biggest way was just how they presented the work. I just loved seeing the someone may have come up like an architect might have done like a performance but like what was important to them in the staging of it of like what the room looks like what the lighting be like or what they think an audience would want was so different than my own intuition and I think maybe what I realized as I've gotten older and kind of straddled working on immersive projects and VR projects and coding stuff and also being deeply rooted in theater and still connected to that I just like I really want to use both of those. Like, I think I can make something unique and different if I really let both those things that I've learned inform one another. And I think a lot of times when we talk about these kind of collaborations between different mediums, it is rooted in there being two people or multiple people coming together and trying to figure it out. And great things can come from that. And I, I think I'm kind of tooting my own horn a little bit. And like what I'm trying to say is that it's nice to have a little bit of both of those things and pretty well and be able to jump in at any moment and have 
my theater background and my knowledge of how I want something staged to influence how I go back to the code or how I build the control system or um, for me to be able to stop my actors and be like, this isn't going to, we can't build this thing, you know, but here's an alternative of how the physics system works that we could probably build a joke out of, you know, and then play with that. Because uh, this thing we thought was a good idea is actually really boring to watch because it's really hard for you to use a pitchfork to pick up worms and feed me, which is something we tried. And I was like, this is so, it just doesn't work. It's too hard for you to do. Let's totally pivot to something else. And that speed to be able to move between those things is really helpful. And also to say, I see many people among different fields bringing all that in. And I think that the immersive field is always going to benefit from people bringing something that they're trained in and have a practice in already and really allowed to feel like they're versed in both of those. Or also to just find collaborators where you can go beyond that initial workshop that a university sets up between departments, but uh, really start to develop an artistic language together and really interrogate what thought process and what viewpoint each person's coming from. Yeah, that type of interdisciplinary fusion that's happening in immersive technologies is what is a really fascinating aspect for me as I do this podcast and talk to people from different backgrounds. And so, you know, I feel like experiential design from the final XR immersive VR AR projects that I see has a certain, you know, qualities of presence of active presence, mental, social presence, and emotional presence, and embodied and environmental presence. And I really see that the theatrical tradition is having a consistent spatial context that is distinct from maybe say the film language that has a little bit more of the framing that's able to control how close you're seeing things and there's a lot more cuts and edits but in the theatrical staging you have much more of a consistent spatial context that's moving from scene to scene but yet with the virtual mediated aspect you're able to get another layer of that onto starting to bring in the XR technologies into the theater so that then you have the actors who are looking at the virtual representation of what they're doing so that they have to coordinate their spatial context into what's going to be represented into that mediated context and so that interplay I found really interesting in terms of the spatial negotiation that they had to do and how well the theatrical performance is moving into the more XR translation and in this case the predominant context is that people are sitting in a theatrical context watching them actors but I can imagine in the future people may be sitting at home and seeing something like this and maybe they'll be watching the virtual representation of a recreation but they'll also see a virtually mediated it'll be like a incepted layer they'll be in VR watching people who are motion captured but then watching yet another kind of similar or mediated context, but I guess the point there is that how the language from each of these design disciplines are feeding into existing XR technologies, and I think theater is informing the structures and forms of XR and VR and immersive storytelling more than, say, film, although there are lots of cinematic aspects. And then on the other side, how there's going to be aspects of the XR technologies that are being infused into the theatrical context. And I think your project is really an interesting intersection between those two. Yeah, I was thinking about when we were working on this in the rehearsal room, we came up with a bunch of rules. They're not rules that are established by any means. I just like was like, we're going to make that a rule. And one was we wouldn't move the camera. It was going to be a fixed camera the whole time because I've seen how technology can dominate the theater performance. You have to kind of 
tamp it down or like reduce how much it's going to do otherwise the people on stage get overshadowed like i mean there's like they're in suits with like these little marker ping pong ball kind of things on them with like cameras trained on them like it takes a little bit of work to make the audience stop paying attention to that but then we were also able to find cheats like there's a moment where julia's head is a camera and there's a projection screen in the virtual world and that's at the backdrop of the whole show where each scene's announced and we turn that into a live like movie screen and so you're you're still rooted in this fixed spatial reality that you're like as you said theater is still really specializes in rather than this like framing that film really brings to mind but then we also found kind of a a hack to bring in some of immersives tools kind of uh, affordances to play outside of just a pure kind of like spatial but i i guess for me i'm so used to bringing video cameras as a designer into theater processes that it felt like a natural extension of that sort of thing what were some of the other rules if you don't mind sharing some of them i'm gonna say there's no oh we couldn't go anywhere else i was like it's this yellow floor that's it we can add and subtract things from it and it kind of fit into the camera thing, but we're not suddenly going to snap or fly over to like a forest. We got to stay right here. It's another theatrical conceit, I guess, in some ways. I mean, in, in theater, you have different scenes, but you're changing the staging, but it's pretty much being in one scene in a play, right? Yeah, you know, if you ever see, like, they do this in musicals all the time, like uh, they have something on wheels and it's like a bookcase, and then suddenly you're in a factory and they spin it around and on the other side is a bunch of, like, tools. I like the way that you can use like objects and scenery to suggest a new place that we're kind of doing with our 3D objects appearing and disappearing, but like the stage itself is fixed and immutable, and that felt like it fit the theatrical language I've kind of been talking about. I, oh, another rule was like we have to have things from one scene have to bleed over into another scene. So like I was talking about with. 3D objects from a previous scene still being scattered across the floor as we start the next scene. That was something we were really going for. Simple ones I've kind of mentioned already too, like Peter always is the one that's hurt. Julie is always the one that inflicts violence, unless there's like a real kind of fake out moment where you think it's flipping, which gave us a nice climactic kind of arc to play with expectations. I did try to get them to cheat their body towards the audience. It was tricky, like uh, I, I just want to applaud them. My actors were thrown into this with no experience in this. And like upstage, facing, if they had to tilt their backs to the audience, then they could actually see the giant projection of what's actually happening with their digital bodies. But then they would be facing away from the audience. And we only had a tiny like 27-inch monitor at the foot of the stage that they could use as a reference. So they were really good about keeping their faces and their bodies aimed at the audience and cheating sometimes to see what's on the screen to get an orientation of where they are. And um, I think those are all the rules that can kind of come to mind. Yeah, I think in terms of world building, you did a great job of building this world out and having a certain logic to that world. And yeah, I guess there's certain elements of the performance that are worth watching to see how they play out. But for me, what I found really interesting was just the temperamental interactions between the two with the real quick, amicable, eager to please type of temperament from Peter. And like you said, with Julia, just, you know, not kind of more laid back and only doing the minimum amount of work to sort of get the job done. And so I, I thought those interplay between those two different temperaments was also a big part of what I found, like their performances that gave the sense of who they are as characters. And there's this Robert McKee quote that says a lot of what 
characters are is they're putting them into different situations and how they respond to that situation is a, a revealing of their essential character. So I felt like the characters that were going through all these different scenes still in an ability through how they're reacting to each of these impossible situations, you get a sense of who this character is as they go through these really off-wall conditions. Yeah, I mean, I just want to completely shout out Peter and Julia, because they bought so much of that to this. And they have their own professional practice and theater company together in their own right, that they make really incredible work in New York and that we've toured. So I learned a lot from them and how much they bought to the process. and. They were just so generous in like what they bought to this kind of collaborative kind of nature. And especially for people like, you know, just like a totally different medium, I had to kind of keep reminding them, there's like, I don't think there is a language for this quite yet. So let's just keep trying. There's like no dumb ideas. And I think we like, usually our dumbest ideas were the ones that we liked the best or felt the most playful or joyful, even in the context of this kind of over the top violence, which was totally necessary like we didn't we want it to be a little difficult but we don't want to traumatize anyone we, we want to entertain people we just want it to be a little bit confused why you're feeling entertained but yeah they really did so much to create these characters and discover things in the process and then also even on stage i think peter really learned how eager he was to please when we actually had an audience you know, we talk about in theater all the time, just like the energy of the room. And when we did this at Onyx, like our rehearsals, there's times we had one or two people come by just to get, like, you know, people we trusted for feedback. But Onyx is this amazing gallery space, but the room feels like a XR immersive gallery. It doesn't feel like a theater, like the theater at the De Brock Grand here at Doc Lab. There's like wings, you know, with people looking down from the side and there's this beautiful red like paint along the walls and there's kind of like curtains and stuff and it just puts you in this room where there's just a vibration of energy that really helps us as performers just feel kind of like rooted and grounded to um, what we're doing. Yeah, with the chairs also in an incline so everybody has a good view. Yeah, it feels much more like a theatrical performance space than more of the tech demo space of the the onyx which is great for its own right but yeah it's a lot different than having a, a type of performance like this so i can see how that proscenium context can help to set a larger performative context for the actors i one of the reasons i love a theater context is it's still socially unacceptable to take your phone out or to get up and leave in the middle of it i mean people will and they, they should feel empowered to do that to a certain extent but like i do think things that want to engage with theater and engage with dance but end up feeling like tech demos i'd say a lot of it times just how the place it's presented and the way it's presented if people are standing and they don't have a good view and it feels like you can kind of come and go when you want or you know the things like the acoustics i'm such a sucker for the lights down that's telling everybody you have to tell people the piece is beginning and you got to tell them when it's ending and i really feel like I love in theater, I feel like you have like 15 seconds to walk out on stage and punch them in the face. And then you have their attention and then you can kind of go. So what I have most fun with is they're really crafting a way to tell the audience like, if you give me your attention, I plan to entertain you and I plan to make something that will be worth your focus and attention. Yeah, well, I think it really worked as a performance and a comedic performance. And, and comedy is not something that I see a lot within the XR industry. And so it's nice to see these 
other disciplines of established theatrical practices are able to bring the acting chops and the, the whole staging, the way of creating these comedic moments. And I thought it works quite well. And also, as people try to describe it, there is a certain amount where it does become difficult to really fully describe what the essence of the experience is, because it is so much beyond from anything else that people have normally experienced, especially if they haven't experienced a lot of the interface between the XR immersive technologies. And so, yeah, I guess that for me, there's a lot of potential there for it to be expanded out into a full performance with lots of people. I can see how it could be quite successful. And so I guess in that spirit, what do you see next as you are shooting your shot in this context of this blending of XR technologies and theater? So, so where do you take Bag of Worms from here? Um, all I know at the moment is we'd love to do like a almost like a 60 to 75 evening length performance, something that could stand on its own. I would love to pursue that, and we've already started talking about ways in which we could do that. And then at this point, it's kind of a question of finding creative partnerships, finding funding, but also context. Like. I think it's been interesting getting feedback at this festival as it's kind of been all over the spectrum of where people see that it could be. And I feel like I've really hammered this in this uh, interview that like I, I really see it rooted in the theatrical tradition. Like I want it, I would want it at Off-Broadway more than I would want it at some giant, I don't even know, like not an XR conference because I feel like I'm talking bad about a thing I'm at. <laughs> I love being in these contexts, but I wouldn't want to make like the Instagram playground like, oh, at the end of it, you can put the suits on yourself and take some photos and stuff. You know, like I want it to feel like you went to a theater show rather than you went to like an XR gallery or an immersive event. And in that context, I think a question of like trying to get a longer run in one location where we're all based in New York City or cost benefit of maybe trying to tour with this or even tour like between theater festivals or tour in these kind of like film festival kind of XR circuits. And then also just establishing the reality of these systems are still really expensive and really hard to access. And we've just been so lucky to get to work with Onyx and Onassis and have their support so far to play with this motion capture system that's still a big lift to get somewhere and install and the amount of people required to do it and I don't take for granted through Onyx and academic connections I've had in the past I've been able to experiment with them but we'd love to keep experimenting with it and also just engage with other people that have curiosity about how this could be translated into theater and by extension also kind of dance communities. Right and, uh, and finally what do you see as the ultimate potential for these types of theatrical performances mixed with motion capture and immersive technologies and what that might be able to enable? Um, I guess it's a, I'm a very visually driven person. I, it's just something about what you're seeing on the stage and like it's something that combines like your imagination with kind of a visual reality or like a tangibility almost. I think it's really exciting for me. Like, I feel like I'm almost like wanting to turn, like I usually do videos designed for theater and I'm like, well, what if the whole theater was the video design kind of thing? You know, there's something that I really feel like what we found in rehearsal was just how immediately satisfying our ideas were. And I don't mean in like based on the quality of them, but like, you know, not, not relying on this kind of like, 
creating the moment through acting and play and make-believe and kind of like a suspension of belief, but like we could actually try something over the top and wild and crazy and actually see it and not the scene it being like the uber truth of it or anything, but just... I just felt giddy a lot. I think we all treated rehearsals as a chance to make each other kind of like feel joy and pleasure and laugh. And like it was really easy to do that when you so quickly see your body and their movements translated into these kind of impossible tableaus. So in that sense, it just feels like a further extension of creative tools that are available for people to create creative ideas and narrative storytelling in a way that people haven't seen before. Awesome. Is there, is there anything else that's left unsaid that you'd like to say to the broader immersive community? Um, no, I'm just uh, I'm happy to get a chance to talk about it and share my work and always happy to talk more. And yeah, I'm so excited by all the stuff I've seen at the festival. And I also just really happy to be back in person for these kind of things. I feel like much more rooted back to why I want to do this by getting to talk to people in person and see them and see their work. And I just kind of have that human connection again. Awesome. Well, bag of worms, I hope we start to see this performance come to different locations in New York City or you kind of develop it out. I think it does have a lot of potential. I, I found it very entertaining. And uh, yeah, I guess for me, a takeaway is if there are elements of the different type of content that you're presenting at the end, if there is a way to sort of bring that into the conversation at some point or not, I don't know, then maybe that's, like you said, it sort of stands on its own. But as a performative lecture, yeah, that's just something that I had value out of seeing that at the end. And so there is kind of a didactic turn in that, though, but it, it does help me kind of reflect upon what I had seen and almost reevaluate. I don't know. I guess it's like this experience of watching something unfold and you see the schadenfreude of it and you just you know it's a mediated simulation and it, it makes you laugh. But then it's sort of like, you know, this deeper interrogation of like why that is funny or breaking down. And, and I, I felt like that there was this... Uh, interesting social commentary that was unexpected but for me made it even more interesting or valuable so yeah that's i guess my piece of feedback if there's a way to kind of add a seed of that into the, the actual performance but to allow it to ground into this relationship between the physical and the virtual and how you can start to explore the relationship between those two realms and in a way that has these different provocations and and at the end of the day still has a level of comedy that just you know works on it on its own right so anyway really enjoyed the performance and wish you the best of luck as you continue to develop it so thanks for joining me on the podcast to help unpack it all thank you so much so that was Matt Romine. He created the piece called Bag of Worms that was showing at the IFA Doc Lab as a part of the Onyx Doc Lab mocap stage. So I have a number of front takeaways about this interview is that, first of all, well, Matt's coming from a theater background, and I think his intention eventually is to make sure that whatever he's showing doesn't need to have a lot of explication or other lecture style explanations. I actually found the lecture to add a whole bunch of context. It was almost like the degree of senseless violence and gore that was in the piece. It, it sort of at a certain point, it, it got to be like, what's the point of why he's doing this? But there was some deeper reasoning for this type of commentary of the way that we interact with video games and video game violence. And I think that this was at the context of If a Doc Lab, and it's a documentary festival, which is usually looking at things that are not in this genre of 
over-the-top gore violence in a comedic sense. And so I think part of the set and setting of this piece was a broader context of a documentary festival. And so it was part of this motion capture stage of trying to explore creative expression. And so, yeah, just the ways that you know, killing Sims or the degree of, of violence that's been increased. And so they're kind of playing with that as a trope and also playing with this juxtaposition of what would it mean to have this type of over-the-top violence where you can clearly see that there's nothing physically happening to either of these people. They're just imaginally projecting what it might feel like if they were actually embedded into the virtual context. And so, and that way it is still a bit of a distance in terms of that commentary, but also for some people could be triggering based upon some of the different experiences that they've had with gore or blood or violence. But overall, I think this is a type of experience that I think could translate pretty well for a general audience because just the acting by Peter Mills Weiss and Julia Munsley, they were just absolutely fantastic. Peter with his eager to please, more sanguine, happy temperament, and Julie more melancholic and just soft-spoken and only doing the minimal amount of work that's required and just the trope that Peter would always get killed and just playing with that and just their interactions ended up having a lot of really funny moments, but also a number of the different rules that they had created in order to create this continuity and take these different lessons from theater to try to create a flow and improv nature so that there wasn't hard breaks in anything that they were doing. There were some aspects where they were dropping in new digital objects, but in terms of clearing stuff out, they always had this kind of odd juxtaposition where they're doing these physical interactions to clear out the virtual space or to leave some trace of the previous experience left behind. And so there is this kind of accumulation of different things to to give it that extra degree of plausibility in some ways. And so, yeah, just very interesting to hear some of his different rules that he was having behind this, but also just to hear his own creative process as he's working with both Peter and Julia in a way that, you know, there's no deep coding, but everything has to be prepared ahead of times. And they're just playing with what works and what doesn't work with this motion capture technology. So I do think that this has the potential to be expanded out into a, a show and it could be quite entertaining. I, I think that there could be something in trying to integrate more of what he was presenting and more of a lecture style into the actual work. I, I don't know if that, again, starts to explain what they're doing like in an unnecessary way. Uh, totally get why he wouldn't do that. But I don't know. I just thought there's a part of it that, that kind of changed that the overall tenor of the piece for me after I saw a little bit more of the explanation about what he was trying to do. But if I was at just a normal entertainment experience with people in the audience, I think I think the audience had a, a pretty good reaction to it. And I think it has a lot of potential and I'm looking forward to see where it goes in the future. So that's all I have for today. And I just wanted to thank you for listening to the Voices of VR podcast. And if you enjoy the podcast, then please do spread the word, tell your friends, and consider becoming a member of the Patreon. This is a this is a part of podcast. And so I do rely upon donations from people like yourself in order to continue to bring this coverage. So you can become a member and donate today at patreon.com slash Voices of VR. Thanks for listening.